Well, I invite you to open your Bibles actually to 2 Timothy chapter 4. And we'll be reading uh, two verses from Acts 28, but you can turn to 2 Timothy 4. As we continue uh, our series here, we only have a couple more left of a series on Paul. Let me begin by reading God's holy and errant word from Acts 28. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. And now 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 to 5. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Our Heavenly Father, we ask now that you would send your spirit to illumine our hearts and minds that we can receive your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, the words I read from Acts 28 are the last words in the book of Acts. And you may recall as we studied Acts 28 before, I said it, it seems to have abruptly ended with those words. And I explained why. And the reason why is because it's not a biography of the Apostle Paul it, it, or Peter or any other person for that matter. The main purpose of the book of Acts is to share the spread of the gospel. And obviously in that light, Paul is highlighted because he was given the task. He was called to spread the gospel and he brought it to the end of the earth. He brought it to Rome. Well, I want you to think about that for a second. I want you to think about the book of Acts and how it begins. And there's this small group of disciples in the city of Jerusalem. And it ends with this countless number of disciples living out in several different continents. And now it's here all over the globe as we come to our day. In Acts chapter 1, verse 15, we're told that there's only about 120 people that believe we probably had about that many or maybe so, even more today at our worship services. Well, here they are. They live in this obscure part of the world. Jerusalem's just a small little blip on the map. Uh, uh, these Christians are hated by the majority of Dru Jews. Uh, the religious leaders have already begun spreading the message that Christians are liars Jesus didn't really raise from the grave. This was a criminal. Jesus was a criminal and he died. And yet these, these Christians will tell you that he's risen, but they're lying. In fact, they are persecuted for this message that the, the man named Jesus was also a god and he was crucified and, and, and risen again and that he's God's son. And it's only through him that a person could be forgiven. And they, they were persecuted for that. And they're, the only way to have your sins forgiven is through Jesus Christ, the Messiah. 
See, that message, what it does is it kind of draws a line in the sand. Jesus stands on one side, and all the other false gods and all the other false religions are on the other side of the line. It's this exclusive message, and it claims that all those other gods, all those religions, they're wrong. We're right. They're wrong. We're right. And that message with those men and women in that small area spread across the whole globe. They don't use military force to have that spread. They they don't have the internet. They couldn't go on television. They didn't have radio. All they have is their testimony. All they do is proclaim the message of the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit. It begins with Peter, and he preaches the word, and 3,000 people are saved. And they're persecuted for their belief which works out for the spread of the gospel. And so the gospel message moves beyond Jerusalem. And the story shifts from Peter to Paul. Paul gets saved, and he begins proclaiming the gospel. Think about this. This is what we read. Acts 9, he preached it to the Jews in the synagogue. Acts 9, then he preached it to the Greeks. In Acts 13, to both Jews and Gentiles. To Lydia in Philippi, we're told in Acts 16. To the Philippian jailer and his family in Acts 16. To the Greeks in Athens. To Felix, the governor. To King Agrippa that we studied. To some sailors on a ship. And as the book ends, we're told for two whole years, Paul welcomed all who came to him. And what did he welcome them for? So he could proclaim the kingdom of God and the teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ. And he did it with boldness and without hindrance. Verse 31. Well, the two years later, two years later, after Paul is in prison in Rome, what he does is he writes a book. He writes the letter to the Philippians. And in chapter 4 of that letter, he tells us that he even got to preach to Caesar's household. And, And not only that, people in Caesar's household believed and became disciples of Jesus Christ. And the rest is history. The gospel spread from there to everywhere on the globe, even to our little town here in New Holland. And see, here's the point. We are called to continue to spread it. But the question is, how do we do it? How are we to do it? And the answer is simple. Preach, proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, if the Apostle Paul was sent back to our day, And he came back, and we were to say to him, you know, we read about all these things you did in Acts. Tell us, Paul, how are we to reach people, though, in America? I mean, Paul, think about it. Things are so different now than when you walked the earth. People don't believe the Bible. People now hate the idea of there only being one way to God. In fact, they don't even believe in God. I mean, yeah, you had false gods. They don't even believe in God anymore. What are we to do? How are we to do this? Well, I'm convinced that Paul's answer would be the same answer that he gave Pastor Timothy. You see, see, I believe he would say, you're wrong. Things aren't that different. And he'd say to us, well, let me ask you, are people still sinners like they were back then? Yeah. 
So they're still sinners, and are they still under the wrath of God? Well, yeah. Well, has the way of salvation changed? Is Jesus still the only way to be saved? Yes, it's only through Jesus Christ. And then Paul would look at us and say, then preach the gospel. Proclaim the kingdom of God and teach about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness. Preach the word. And so what I want to do this morning is turn to 2 Timothy And I want to point out Paul's understanding of how the gospel is to spread. This is 2 Timothy. This is Paul's last letter. Chronologically, it would be 1 Timothy, Titus, then 2 Timothy is his last letter. He wrote it around AD 67 in autumn, five years after he wrote Philippians, about seven years after what we read in Acts 28. And so those closing words, Paul's in Rome, it's about seven years later from that. Uh, And this, again, is his last letter. And he is writing a personal letter to his protege, Timothy. And he's writing kind of a last will and testament, as you could say it that way, I guess. Paul's in prison. And Paul realizes now his time is short. He's awaiting trial still. He's a condemned criminal It would not be long before he would become a martyr at the hands of the madman Nero. So months after, when you figure out the timeline, you know when Nero committed suicide in AD 68. And so months after writing this letter to Timothy, as you look at that timeline, and according to tradition, Paul was beheaded for his faith. And so things aren't looking up at this point for Paul. Remember, we read even before that some people have abandoned him. They were using the gospel and spreading it despite Paul. They stopped visiting him. He writes this letter, and these are his final hours, you could say. And notice he doesn't do it wallowing in despair. He spends his time proclaiming the good news, like we said. He spends his time in the gospel before the Lord, and he spends his time writing writing this letter, his most personal letter, his last letter, and he writes it to his son in the faith, Timothy. Timothy was a pastor of a local congregation. And and Paul's words here are, are given over to encourage him and instruct him on how to go about his pastoral duties, how to, he instructs him how to discharge his duty. In it, we find that there's no refutation of apostasy In this letter, this personal letter on how Timothy is to conduct himself as a pastor, there's no deep theological discussions, no exhilarating doxologies or benedictions, says one writer, just a quiet reflection on his life and and the ministry of the gospel meant to encourage Timothy, to instruct him, to warn him, and to exhort him. That's what we find here. Think back of all the things that we covered with the Apostle Paul, all the things he faced. He was the great missionary to the Gentiles. He planted churches. He did mercy ministry. He did fundraising for missions. He confronted heretics. He taught sound doctrine. And and he was rewarded for it. He was left for dead. He was beaten. He was deserted. He was imprisoned. And he was finally executed. Well, with that resume, the Apostle Paul, with such experience, think of all the things that he could have taught this young 
pastor. Nathan gets me. Timothy had the apostle Paul. What would he say to him? How would he instruct him? Well, after everything he's been through, after 30 plus years of ministry, Paul realized that the most important thing he could share, the best thing he could do was alert Timothy to the fact that Satan would continually and relentlessly attack God's word. And so what Paul does is warn Timothy about the suffering for the word of God, about remaining In the Word of God, he exhorts them to do that. He encourages them to be faithful to the Word of God. And he charges Timothy to preach the Word of God. Now, let me just quickly just read a few words from the letter, this personal letter. Chapter 1, verse 8. Do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me as his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, he says... Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit. That's the doctrine. That's the teaching entrusted to you. He tells Timothy, chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust of faithful men who will be able to teach Others also. Chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, is preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. Preach the gospel. And in verse 13 to 15, chapter 2. Remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good but only ruins the hearers. Do your best, Timothy, to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. And in chapter 3, verses 1 to 5, this is what he says to Timothy. Understand this. In the last days, there will come times of difficulty. People will be lovers of self, lovers of money, They'll be proud, they'll be arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power, avoid such people. That was a description of 2022 in America. And then at the end of chapter 3, he shares words we are all familiar with, but as for you, this is how people are going to be, proud, arrogant, so on and so forth. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you've learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Do you see the pattern of all the matters that he could have addressed? What is clear from these verses is that what's most important thing for Timothy as a pastor, and every pastor after him, as well as every believer, the most vital thing to remember, to consider, is to remain faithful to what you have been given in 
the word of God and communicate it to others. Of all the duties of the pastor, and there are many things in order to be faithful that you must do, but of all the duties being committed to, trusting in, and proclaiming the inspired, the inerrant, and sufficient word of God is at the top of the list. And so is it any wonder that Paul's final pastoral plea, his final pastoral plea to Timothy is, I charge you, Timothy, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. He just emphasized the trustworthiness of the word of God, of its vital importance at the end of chapter 3. And now he charges all of us, really, pastors, of course, but all of us to be faithful in preaching the word and, and sharing the good news, no matter what the opposition, no matter what the hardship. Look at verse 2. There are five imperatives Five imperatives, five commands. The first is preach. It means to announce. It means to herald. It's the same word that I read in Acts 28, translated proclaiming. It, it, it implies vigorous proclamation. It's the picture and the image of the town crier. The town crier was the one sent by the king who brought the message to the people. He'd gather the people in the square. You've probably seen something like this in a movie. And he says, hear ye, hear ye, come one, come all. And then he shares the message that the king had given him to share. Paul's saying, that's your job, Timothy. That's the preacher's job. We're not charged with sharing funny anecdotes or debate politics or discuss the latest news or be a stand-up comic. We're not charged with to perform drama. He's charged to preach. He's charged to take the king's message, not change it, not water it down, not make it more acceptable to people, and not make it more palatable. He's called simply to proclaim it. Thus saith the king, come all. Every preacher, says Steve Lawson, must confine himself to the truths of Scripture. When the Bible speaks, God speaks. The man of God has nothing to say apart from the Bible. He must not parade his personal opinions in the pulpit, nor may he expound worldly philosophies. The preacher is limited to one task, to preach the word, to herald it. Hear ye, hear ye, come one, come all. I have a message from King Jesus. Among all the things that demand a disciple's, a preacher's, but a disciple's time and energy, nothing is to have higher priority than preaching and teaching the word, be it from the pulpit or from the conversations you have at home with family and friends. But I can hear the, the questions now. We, we address this a little bit. Do you really believe Paul expects us to do this today? I mean, really? People don't want preaching. We know their attention spans are short. You know, I don't know if you're familiar with YouTube. You don't need to be to get the point here. But YouTube has what they call shorts now. They're 20, 30 seconds. Why? Because people's four minutes videos were way too long to follow anymore. You know, we have to have shorts. 
Um, people love drama. They love story time. They love anything that isn't authoritative and a direct message from a king telling them what to do. That is true. We know that's true. People don't want preaching today. But understand, they didn't want it in Paul's day either. And so Paul exhorts them, exhorts Timothy to press on. Be ready, he says, in season and out of season. In season, when preaching is received, be ready. Out of season, when, when it's rejected, it ha- carries this idea of alertness. Be ready, of urgency. And how is he to preach? Verse 2, he is to reprove, expose sin. He's to rebuke, to charge, to warn those who are sinning. Stop sinning. He, he, he is to exhort, applying doctrine to life with persuasion. He is to do it with patience, bearing up under trial. And finally, we read with complete patience and teaching, meaning these are to give careful instruction. That's the preacher's task, to reprove, to rebuke, to exhort with patience and careful instruction. And in case you're still not convinced, if you think, well, maybe we can adapt to the times because we'll lose our audience, and we, we got to have somebody to preach to, well, Paul isn't finished yet. He actually anticipates that question. Look at verses 3 to 5. The time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry." One writer said, there's nothing more humorously descriptive of the world in which we are called to live and minister. Itching ears literally means having the hearing tickled. Ticklers of ears abound in every generation. What happens to an ear tickler? Well, an ear tickler pastor, he designs the message to communicate with the audience what the audience wants to hear. Uh, Pastor ear tickler does this. He'll take a survey of the community. And he'll ask, you know, what would you like to hear when you're in church? What do you want to talk about? And then that's what he'll give them. Now, let me ask you this. After those surveys are taken, how many of them say, you know, they're out in the world? And I'm talking about a pagan culture. We have a generally Christian culture here in one sense or another, at least compared to Miami and Fort Lauderdale. And, 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 but when those surveys are taken and they're asked, hey, for you to come to church, what do you want to hear? How many wrote, oh, preach sound doctrine? No, no, no. I want you to proclaim that a person is a lost apart from Jesus Christ, that he's the only way. Please rebuke me for my sin. How many people do that? Teaching them that they are sinners under the wrath of God. Please do that. No. Oh, also mention that hell awaits them when they die if they don't repent and believe. None of those things are on the survey. And so when you follow that process, you lose the message. You have no reason to exist anymore. You're just parroting back what they want to hear. And so you lose the good news. They come, why? To be entertained. They come to be consumers. And so what the ear tickler does is entertain them. He puts on a show for them. And the audience eats it up. 
And then he's on television with thousands upon thousands of people watching him. Even someone like Oprah may love him. But he gave up the gospel. Here's the truth. For all those who don't want preaching, who don't want sound doctrine, who wants their ears tickled, you, and I'm not saying you, or you, if you're on the video, are judged by God. The judgment here is not the pastor. The judgment's the congregation. They're judged. And the judgment comes how? How do you know they're judged? Because they have Pastor Ear Tickler as their senior pastor and their preaching pastor. These pastors exist because that's what the people want. And God gives them those pastors as a judgment, though, not as a blessing. And so for the unfortunate soul who was willing to compromise the faith to fill a sanctuary with such people, that pastor, whoever it is, Jesus says it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. And so when you're with your lost friends and you're tempted to water down the message and, and tickle a few ears. And you know what? We've all been there. I've been there. I can stand up here boldly and proclaim the truth. And I'll proclaim it to anybody, any pagan. But there are times when I'm with people that I know that aren't saved, that think this is crazy, that I just, I, I, I don't want to take a stand as much as I sound like I'm taking here. We all want to do that because we want to be liked. Well, in verse, four, uh, verse 5, that is, Paul gives us four warnings about doing that. He says, be sober-minded. Keep your head in all situations. Becoming well-liked, being admired is intoxicating. And so, uh, so be sober-minded. We don't want, don't want to allow our desire to be adored by others to make us people who will have... Uh, ear-tickling proclamations. He says, be sober-minded. He says, endure suffering. They won't endure sound doctrine, and so you need to endure suffering. They They disdain true teaching. Third, do the work of an evangelist. This is for all of us. Share the good news of the gospel always and without reservation. Make sure you're doing it. And finally, fulfill your ministry. Now, remember last week, or the other week, when we heard about Paul, we said, basically, he was saying, look, don't give up. Complete the task. Until Christ returns, at which time he will say to you, well done and good and faithful servant. Keep going. Persevere. And so I hope you see the central role of preaching, of heralding the truth, If Paul's life has taught us anything, it should be this. Never give up on proclaiming the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, in closing, let me me turn the table a little. And you're hearing this message. It obviously applies directly to me. Hopefully you didn't hire an ear tickler. I don't think I'm one. I'm pretty sure believers would say I'm not. Uh, But... It applies to me, and it surely does, and it's convicting. But preaching is a two-way street. Understand that 
For Paul's words are, are a solemn charge, yes, to those who are preachers, of sharing the gospel, to be steadfast and faithful. But they are also a solemn charge to all believers to say, give me solid preaching. Give me more of the word. Preaching and hearing God's word of the utmost importance in the view of eternity. We're celebrating the new year. We have the 2022 uh, guide out there for reading the scripture. It's a good way to start. Something like that. You need to bring in the word. Think of how important this was to Paul. One writer explains it this way. If Paul would have said in the verse we read, I solemnly charge you preach the word, that would have been a strong exhortation. If he had said, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus preached the word, that's pretty strong. If he had said, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, well, now we're off the charts with strong exhortations. But this is what he actually says. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who's the judge, the living and the dead, and by his appearing, preach the word. It's hard to imagine he could be more emphatic. It's as if what Paul's doing is if he could have done it, he would have pulled Timothy up by his shirt and said, preach the word, preach the word, preach the word. But it's going to be hard. Preach the word. They're going to persecute me. Preach the word. People won't listen. Preach the word. Preach the word. And so Jesus is saying to us all, I am here today. God is here today. You're at my service. And not only that, I'm going to judge. And not only that, I'm going to return someday. And so you have a choice. We all have a choice. We can sit under the preaching of a pastor who's committed to preaching the word, who will reprove you, rebuke you, exhort you with the word of God, or you can go to a church with Pastor Ear Tickler. Now you're here, and I trust that. Some are online, and maybe they're not so sure. You can go somewhere where there's theatrics, where it's packed, where it seems to be exciting. It's your choice. But know this. One of these choices leads to judgment. And one of these choices leads to to Jesus. And the one that leads to Jesus isn't just because I yell louder and say, believe, believe. It's the one who picks up the word of God and proclaims it to the congregation. And that's what you're doing for others when you pick up the word of God and you proclaim it to your friends and family. You're pointing them to Jesus. So endure sound doctrine, and you will delight in the Lord, and he will give you his blessing. Let's pray. Father, we are humbled as we consider Paul's charge. I, as a pastor, many here in the congregation, give us such a boldness and more than that, give us love for those who are lost, that they would hear the truth of the gospel that they may believe. In Christ's name, amen.